The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of NBA Today. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out the fine folks of HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. <laughs> Online, HoopBall.com. I don't know why I almost forgot the Twitter handle of this great, great group that has NBA uh, fantasy draft content out. The Draft Guide, the Brewski 150, uh, Fantasy Pass, Wager Pass, everything you want to get the level up that you need for fantasy basketball, check out HoopBall for all that. Again, that's on HoopBall Fantasy or HoopBall.com, like I said. Uh, it's been a crazy weekend. I think that's the understatement of the year. Um, NBA draft just happened a short five days ago, and then free agency has been just insane. And joining me to break this all down in as uh, concise of a fashion as possible is my good friend Eric Spiropolis. You can check him out on Twitter at Eric Spirals. But rather than continue to talk about Eric, Eric, uh, tell us, uh, for those who missed the last couple episodes we had you on, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, well, first let me say that uh, when we pod together, I'm not sure how concise we usually are. We, <laughs> these things usually go on for a while, which I hope Very is a good true. thing. <laughs> but, always, always. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you mentioned, um, so I'm a, I'm a digital media coordinator for the Nuggets. So basically all my written work uh, is on Nuggets.com. And then I do a lot of the stuff for the Nuggets social channels if you follow um, us on those platforms. So a lot of Nuggets heavy. There you go. And and because of that, we were actually going to gloss over the Nuggets here. Trust me, we'll have Eric on uh, talking about Denver, another place, another time. I still have a team preview to crank out. So uh, <laughs> with Denver Nuggets and Eric's name right on it. So we'll get to that later. We're going to cover uh, some of the big stuff, though, that's kind of gone over the league. I mean, teams have gotten better. Teams have gotten worse. Some teams have had a hankering for centers, apparently. It has been wild. Um, I, I'm going to start with my team because, you know, I guess uh, the creative freedom of having a podcast is being able to start where you want. Let's start the Lakers, Eric. Uh, I mean, they had already made waves a little bit before free agency started with the trade of Dennis Schroeder to LA for Danny Green, and and then they went and just I mean it was it was crazy. They got Montres Harrell. Uh, they they acquired him. They acquired uh, Marc Gasol. They retained Contavious Caldwell Pope. They traded Javale McGee to Cleveland for a second round pick, and I'm trying to remember who else. Um, Jordan Bell and um, Alfonso McKinney, and then they went and um, uh, Dwight Howard. They lost Dwight Howard. Unfortunately, there was a miscommunication there. It's classic Dwight fashion. I don't even hate it. At first, I was mad because I was under the assumption that it was Dwight's fault. It does seem to be a little bit of the Lakers' fault, and Dwight just mis got miscommunicated. And it's like, hey, you're 35. Get your money. It happened. Uh, he got a ring here. I'm just happy about that. But uh, just that brief uh, – Chronocopia of moves. Uh, what do you think about them? And you could go in as many, uh, whatever fashion you want, Eric, about the Lakers and and what they did this offseason uh, as it's still going on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting that a, a title contender has had a. a this is a lot of, of turnover. Um, I think it's positive turnover in terms of the roster and the rotation uh, in general, but it is a lot for a team that just won a championship. Um, but like you said, you, you ran through the names. Um, another name, Wesley Matthews, they added to kind of hopefully they're in their in their eyes replace or oh, yeah. provide similar production to Danny Green. Um, but basically, I, I like what the Lakers have done. I, I was a little bit concerned when, before they had added Marcus which just came through almost like two hours ago, actually. Uh, like when they added Harrell, I 
thought it was a good talent play because Harrell obviously could be really productive, especially in the offensive end. He was six man of the year, et cetera. Um, but I was concerned that when they signed him, that there was a plan to maybe play him in the closing five of playoff games. Um, but now they have Marcus soul who could potentially do that. Or obviously, you know, the option is always there to play Anthony Davis at center, have, have him just wreck the, the opponent. Um, but mm-hmm. I like having more options in the fold. So Gasol could play, you have Harrell, you have AD at center. Um, I, I think that's a really good center rotation. And I think Gasol still, obviously he has had dropped off quite a bit, but yep. he's, still, he's still really good defensively. And another kind of underrated aspect of the signing um, of adding him is his passing. I think his passing is, is should be a pretty good like addition to the front court. Uh, another playmaker, you know, you can give it to him. He can kind of um, pass to the guys from the from the from the top of the key or from the elbows. Um, you know, just ease some pressure off of guys like LeBron, Dennis Schroeder, um, and AD. And I think Wes Matthews, we know, is a solid three and D option. I think for Schroeder, um, you, you kind of hope that last year wasn't just kind of a mirage career year. Obviously, the three-point shooting was really high um, or higher than his career average. Um, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, basically, what I think in general, if you look at it, you're basically going from Rondo, Green, Avery Bradley, and Dwight, and JaVale, to Dennis Schroeder, uh, Wes Matthews, Montres Harrell, and Marcus Gasol while retaining KCP. And I think when you look at it that way – Overall, it should be considered a success. Yeah, I would agree. I was going to say, I was trying to reach back in my brain of, of teams that I had so much turnover from one year to the next after winning the championship. And the only one I can think of, and it's probably not the most positive light, is um, the Dallas Mavericks in 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, that team was, was role players in contract years and older vets. And, you know, Dallas was trying to be more forward thinking and, and go for a big fish at the time. Remember, of course, Dwight Howard, uh, Darren Williams, all of that. Uh, and so I was thinking, you're right, they totally retooled and in some somewhat of a similar situation, aging vets and, and role players who weren't reaching contract years, but were definitely uh, uh, reaching, you know, extensions and things of that sort. But you had to wonder if that uh, would continue moving forward in terms of the level of play. So with that being said, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I really hope the Lakers can either... Uh, pick up DeMarcus Cousins, who I really, really wanted to see actually play in Lakers jersey, or uh, retain uh, Markeith Morris because I liked him as as a big for what he provided down the stretch. I think he was integral uh, for the Lakers in the playoffs almost as much as KCP was in terms of role players stepping up and outperforming uh, their roles, you know, being a star in their role. But with that being said, yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, some of this works well. You're right. Marcus all's a depreciating game in some ways is is concerning, especially the way he faded down the stretch for the Raptors. But you're you're playing with uh, uh, I'd say uh, people who can definitely lighten your load on both ends. I mean, on the offensive and defensive end between Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like it's crazy to think about and to go, yeah, you know his 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 load will be uh, tremendously lightened. So I think that he can be unlocked and also just the amount of defensive potential on this team I think can only help Montrezl Harrell. Who I mean, he played with the Vita Zubac, but he's kind of young. And then Patrick. Patterson's okay. Like he hasn't really played with as as I don't, I, he hasn't played with as good a defensive big as he will with Anthony Davis uh, this year uh, in his career, I might say. Yeah, and uh, the other thing about Gasol, a, a couple things about him. One, you know, he he didn't look great in the playoffs, which was concerning, but he might not have been 100% healthy back. Uh, what was that? Two months ago, actually, it wasn't even that long ago. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, two things about him. Number one. Uh, the reason why his signing is so big to me is, you know, we saw in the Nuggets Clipper series that, you know, Jokic, when, when Zubac was on the floor, he was, you know, doing a decent job, as, as good a job as you probably could expect him to against Jokic. But when Harrell was on the floor, Jokic was just feasting. And so the Lakers, they can just avoid, you know, if they 
you know, plan it properly with rotations and, and decisions, they can avoid putting Harrell on Jokic and just throw Gasol, who, remember, the past couple of years, Gasol, you know, kind of not made a reputation, but the whole storyline was that Gasol really flustered a guy like Joel Embiid. And mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic is a very different player. He relies less on power and has a little bit more of a finesse kind of European flair. But you can just throw a Gasol on um, – Nikola Jokic in the post. And then offensively, you can comfortably, because AD doesn't want to play a lot of center, apparently, play them <laughs> together because Gasol can stretch the floor. I mean, that's most of his offense at this point is just shooting threes, basically. So that, that's going to help AD and that'll help the, the, the floor space out a little more because another, even with all these changes, they still don't have that much shooting. Where So I think having a stretch five is actually a, a pretty nice addition to their front court. Yeah, I, I'd agree. You're right. It's someone that can unlock something that they haven't had before. Uh, I mean, they had, like I said, in limited spurts, Markeith when he played the glorified five uh, next to AD. But someone who, like you said, center size can can do that. An offensive and fitter role that's perfect, you know, when contrasted with uh, Davis's uh, vertical uh, rim running attacks and then LeBron going downhill. That That's going to be crazy. Um, KCP, I thought was a little bit of overpaid, but I think you had to do it. I, there wasn't another uh, free agent out there that would kind of replicate that, although I would have been really big on not have re-signing him if I could have gotten Bogey. Just because I think Bogey can actually do some actual on-ball creation and, and be a secondary ball handler that KCP just cannot be. Yeah, that would, I mean, that would have been a nice dream, but uh, as we have yeah. seen, <laughs> we can maybe make a transition to a, a team that I have Let's do it. in the winner column, but I have some interesting thoughts about their moves. But the Atlanta Hawks, because they have, they are the team that have offered Bogdanovich the four years, $72 million, uh, and the Kings have, I think they off, they still have like at least 36 hours, I'd say, to match. But um, that's not the only thing the Hawks have done this weekend. I mean, my goodness, they have been really active. So they added... Uh, Danilo Gallinari, um, I think it was like 62-ish million for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave Rajon Rondo a two-year deal at 15 million. They added Chris Dunn, I believe it was two years, 10 million. Um, and you know the draft is separate from free agency, but they drafted Onyeka Okongwu. Um, that's a, that's a lot of moves. Um, yeah, I have questions about some of them. I think I think the amount of money they gave Gallo to is is kind of questionable because either he's going to play the three, which on defense is going to be atrocious yeah. or the other option, which has been a rumor is that they're just going to move on from John Collins, which again, I think would not be, unless you can get a really good return for him. If you sell low on Collins to just play and play and pay a 31 or two year old uh, Gallinari at this mm-hmm. point, given the rest of their core, especially Trey young being so young, that doesn't make much sense to me. So I'm not sure what the plan is really there. Now I, I like adding talent, this team was really obviously desperate to show that they can win and, and kind of be a playoff team and, and getting more talent does that. But I do have questions about the Gallo fit on the court if he's going to play the three or if they're just going to make a drastic decision and move Collins because of that contract. And Rondo, I don't know. I don't know. I think once you add a guy like Don, who is not really a, a guy with you put the ball in his hands in terms of as a point guard, but guards – guards obviously once you get done i think i would have just gone with one of the cheaper point guards on the market instead of giving rondo two years uh at 15 million total i like you know the vet presence etc but i just don't know if he's gonna you know we we know the whole playoff rondo thing like is he gonna play like that for the hawks or is he gonna play like the rondo that he's played at during the regular season for the past couple years which isn't that impactful of a player especially if you have a guy like dunn that can play at the guard spot as well so having it mentioned bogdanovich because they haven't actually gotten him yet but if they do that'll be a really nice talent play again though they're 
if they get Bogdanovich, that is going to be one crowded rotation. I there's people are going to be either not playing or or being moved because that's a really crowded rotation. Yeah, I'm not sure as to. I mean, they're, they're obviously going for broke in terms of the playoffs. Like, I think we can all agree on that. That is their goal. Um, I don't know how these moves shape up in, um, let's just say, moving past this, this initial year, you know, because you're right. These guys are going to age. Rondo's on the two-year pact. Uh, Gallo, like you said, the three, four fit is weird. Uh, and then you add to the fact that he's already 31. Uh, you're already squeezing John Collins out the rotation. So I guess that means you're not putting up for an extension. So does that mean that you're going to uh, try to trade him? Uh, get some type of value for him. Like, there's some questions there to be sure. And, yeah, it's going to be a crowded, crowded. For, I mean, I guess it's a good thing to have actually decent players. Uh, I mean, that's a good problem to have for Atlanta, which has had a lot of the, the opposite uh, for years now. At the same time, it's still a problem and one that you probably want to get sorted out uh, for the long-term future because I don't know how sustainable this team is. It's not like you're getting guys at 27, 28, and they're getting better and older together. These guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're 30, 30, 31, Rondo's case, 35. Uh, these guys are kind of getting up there. So, yeah, this year that might work. Going for broke and, you know, um, you know, going for broke and, and trying to get to the playoff spot. And in this Eastern Conference, you know, it's a, it's a probable chance that you can do that here. But I, I guess I'm just concerned about building moving forward, especially since you absolutely have no space for 2021. Yeah, I think I think the thing, the thing with this team is like, you know, just if they get Bogdanovich especially, but even if they don't, like their offense should be good, like good, like maybe top 10. Um I think the defense is where you have a lot of question marks. So you got a guy like Dunn, who I think is an incredible defender, um, can guard the one, two, and probably the three a little bit. Uh, and you got Capella, you know, defending the rim. And, and Okongwu projects to be a good defender, though he is a rookie, so he might not be that good right away. Um, but those are like, you know, and Reddish showed some stuff defensively. Hunter, ideally, you you know, can see some improvement from him. Um, but in general, playing a guy like Gallo at the three, Trey, we know, has defensive limitations. Kevin Herter isn't that good defensively. Collins hasn't shown much defensively. I think this te- the defense is what is going to hold this team back. And, you know, like you said, I think they're, they're really going for broke. You know, Trey has, has basically said that he wants to start winning and the front office has felt that pressure. And they are going out there and getting Gallo and Rondo and Don and maybe Bogdanovich. And that's that's a lot of good players to add to a team. Now, <laughs> Lloyd Pierce has a lot of decisions to make in terms of the rotation, because how, how does a young guy like Hunter or, or Reddish or Herder feel if their minutes are drastically reduced because of guys like a Bogdanovich, a Rondo, or a Gallo are coming in to take those minutes. That's There's going to be some question marks in terms of the rotation. I think in general, their goal was to get better. Their goal was to fight for the playoffs. And that's why I have them as a winner because they have added the talent to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. They, they set themselves up for uh, at least the immediate they're definitely going to be an improved team i'm actually excited they're um they're my they're my top league pass team moving forward um i think they're going to be a lot of fun to, to check out and really just just enjoy um but yeah i i, I uh i don't know i'm i'm I, it's weird i like a kongu's fit you know what i mean um i i i thought it was weird a little bit just because you had I thought John Collins, and then of course, um, you know, playing with Clint Capella. But you made some space getting rid of Deadman, and if the future is without Collins, I do think it's a rather interesting one with these guys. So yeah, Atlanta's gonna be Atlanta's gonna be one that's fun. Um, speaking of a team that that might be fun, but I don't like them. Uh, let's talk about the Clippers a little bit. Um, apparently, if you judge by Pat Bev, it wasn't the best of off seasons. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you lost Landry Shamit. 
You lost Montrez Harrell. Uh, who else did they lose? I'm already getting mixed up. They had one other guy. Um, oh, Jamichael Green. Yeah. In fact, isn't he joining? Uh, uh, we, we can't. We, he's he's out. So you have these guys that are gone. Um, but you do get uh, Serge Ibaka. Apparently, the Clippers were trying to go for Kent Bazemore. They missed out on him as he went and signed with the Golden State Warriors. But you know, in, in a weird way, I think you don't really need to do too much when you're building around, uh, well, not building around, but you're trying to put a competitive roster around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and you had an epic collapse, you know, in the second round of the playoffs last year, but at the end of the day, I don't know if it was gaping holes that need to be met, and one of the biggest ones was an upgrade in Harrell, uh, in Ibaka, in for Harrell. Now, I do think they could have used an actual point guard or a better point guard than having Pat Bev as your primary initiator. I think you're going to go in there with the same issue. Uh, and I don't know how great that is, but at least their starting five is pretty solid if you're going with Pat Bev, Pat Bev Paul George, Kawhi, uh, Ibaka, and, and Zubac. Uh, you also have that new uh, coach in Tyrone Liu, so maybe he'll have a different scheme, a different way to utilize these guys. It remains to be seen. I, I don't know what I think about them, but I'm looking at them as, as a team relatively unchanged. For as much as Montrez Harrell gave them, he took away on the other end. So now you bring in some, somebody in Baca who has that potential to bring just as much, definitely in different ways, definitely not as dynamic a role threat, but definitely a much better popper. I used definitely like three times there. And he's also a very good defender in, in a way that Montrez Harrell not only isn't, but will never be. Yeah, I, I kind of I had the Clippers in like a not sure like I don't have them as a yep. winner or a loser. I mean I think Same. I think given their their team's needs, I think I'd rather have Ibaka for over Harrell, you know, for the next year or two. Um, I do think Green is is a key departure. Um, you know, they have not really replaced his role on you know the basically you know if you look at their you know, their depth chart now, you know, big Patrick Patterson would have to play more minutes to kind of. Um, somewhat replace Green's role as kind of like a backup four, maybe a small ball five from time to time. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a relatively unchanged. I think they've made some interesting moves. They've made some interesting swaps, basically, going from Harold to Ibaka and then Shamit to Luke Kennard, who I think actually Kennard can provide them something as in terms of maybe a secondary ball handler and, and playmaker um, who can also still hit the three at an elite percentage, I think 40% for his career so far. So you're not really losing much in terms of floor spacing going from Shamit to Kennard while getting additional ball handling. I think Shamit's a little bit better as a team defender, just running through screens. Um, but I don't think it's a huge difference on that end. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they, they wanted to get a little bit of a, a different look at, at point guard or, or lead ball handler, whatever you want to call it, if we don't really consider positions anymore. Um, but I think they're <laughs> relatively unchanged because, you know, you're still bringing back the majority of your rotation, Beverly, Lou, Paul George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, uh, Zubac. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, because it'll be a test case for, you know, when you swap I don't want to call them simply role players, but, you know, Abaka and Kennard are, are role players compared to guys like Leonard and George. It's yeah. going to be a test case for, like, how much value you can get from changing coaches and then how much value can you really get when you swap role players while keeping the stars the same. I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think they've gotten worse. I don't think they've gotten that much better. Maybe in the playoffs you could see, you know, last year in the second round, if they have Abaka over Harold, do they probably win that series against the Nuggets? You know, Possibly, you could probably say yeah. so. Yeah, but we don't know how next season will go. We can't go back into the into the past. So I think they're unchanged. It's going to be an interesting test case, I think. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. And also, I'm embarrassed that I totally forgot about Luke Kennard. But I kind of look at that as a downgrade just because Luke Kennard's good and has some on-ball potential. I just don't like to be utilized on this team as much. And then when you're looking at that between the shooters, I like Shaman better. So 
that's just me on that, like in a brief synopsis. But I'm with you. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be something. It's gonna be interesting. What's another team? Because you brought up a very good uh, category in teams that are neither winners nor losers. I would would you think Detroit fall under that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I do, not have, I do not have the Pistons in that category. Um, okay. <laughs> other, I do have another team in that category, though. It's the okay. Celtics. Um, okay. Because, you know, as we'll get to, uh, they did lose Gordon Hayward, which is, it deserves its own conversation. Um, but they added Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. But my question marks, because I don't think they really needed Hayward. You know, I think a reason why Hayward has left is because he wants a bigger role, um, not to be basically a fourth option in Boston. So they don't really need Hayward, I would say. Uh, But my question marks come, you know, how much will Thompson and T get really give them? I think Thompson projects to be a good fit as just a monster rebounder. Um, He's not a super great rim protector, but just their defensive rebounding has always been a weakness in recent seasons. And I think, He's a really good rebounder. Teague, I don't know. I think I would have just preferred to, to keep Brad Wanamaker or signed, you know, someone like a Shabazz Napier over Jeff Teague. But I guess as a, as a veteran, you know, he's somewhat dependable for the regular season. I'm not sure he's going to give him much in the playoffs. So I, I have him as a not sure because I don't think they really needed Hayward. Um, but I also on the other end, their additions, I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to really push them better than they were last year. Yeah, I don't really know what to think about it either. Like, I guess they did uh, uh, supplement their 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 front court. Uh, you still have Daniel Tice, of course. You don't tell he had him, and now you're bringing in obviously, you know, Thompson, who I definitely like as a rim runner and someone who you know can make an impact in that way. So I, I'm I'm a fan. Um, off the back court though, you're right. I like the idea of Jeff T. <laughs> I think that that is pretty cool in terms of someone who you know, can shoot the three, even though he seems to be totally afraid of doing so. Uh, someone can take out the ball and maybe score a little bit more, but he hasn't done that. You know, that's the uh, idea of Jeff T. maybe 2018, not what we've seen the last year and a half to two years. Uh, in that case, you're right. Uh, having a guy like Wanamaker, who was a solid uh, guard, not really a great shooter, but someone who could, you know, handle the ball and, and get you in your offense. Yeah, there's no upside there uh, because of who he is, but there's also no upside in Teague either, especially being an older guard than Wanamaker. So that is one that I looked at as 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 curious. I don't know. You're right. I think they're kind of where they were. Uh, it does. I mean, it's helped in the way that Brooklyn hasn't made any devastating moves uh, to make a great addition to them, at least in my opinion. We can talk about them later. Uh, of course, Milwaukee, yeah, I'm not okay with what they've done like they'll still be in the hunt just because they're in the hunt in fact i'm gonna could finish off with them and then kind of go to my next team that i feel is just okay uh and that is milwaukee but boston i, I think will still be in the mix I, I just think right now it's clearly miami that is uh in the lead over them uh so i look at boston around the same way they were right around third you know depending on what you think about uh toronto you know what i mean yeah i agree i i, I don't think I just don't think, you know, given – they have different – like the, the players they brought in, Thompson and Teague, are not giving them what Hayward did. The question is, will will what Thompson and Teague give them – and mainly Thompson here, not Teague's going to play a smaller role. Like will, will what Thompson gives them on the glass uh, be more of a benefit to this current team given how much other scoring and playmaking they have with Kemba, Tatum, and Brown? Like will Thompson's addition give them – more than what Hayward was giving them as just a fourth scorer, ball handler, et cetera. That's the question mark for their season uh, if, their, if their moves are done. And so I think it's probably going to be pretty neutral, and they'll probably be one of the best teams in the East and really competitive. And you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see them 
really competitive for conference finals again. I think it's going to be a pretty neutral. I think it's been a neutral offseason for them. But yeah, let's let's go to Milwaukee because they their offseason has not been that neutral in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean Milwaukee's had a. I don't even know what you want to call it. They start off with a bang, uh, acquiring, uh, well, acquiring in theory, acquiring in practice, uh, acquiring a Jew Holiday and uh, a Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, to kind of supplement their backcourt. It was looking real good. Dante DiVincenzo was gone. Uh, you know, you had a, a good starting uh, five with Drew Holiday, Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, and then, of course, Giannis and Brook Lopez. And it was looking like, OK, here we are. Like, this might be something that uh, is going to be pretty, uh, pretty good. You know, it's going to be something that uh, their bench is, is, is going to be rough. But then again, that probably helps out, uh, you know, Coach Bud uh, in terms of not playing his bench as much as he did both during the regular season and during the playoffs. But then apparently, um, and this just got really weird, really crazy. They got the Drew Holiday, the Drew Holiday trade done, so that was great. Then you had Bogdan Bogdanovich, where he was expected to be, uh, you know, in Milwaukee. Apparently, that was pulled after the trade was reported. Whether or not that was because uh, both sides were trying to duck the whole tampering issue, whether that was because Bogdanovich truly hadn't been contacted about his role in the trade, which I find unlikely, being that you know he uh, not only is very uh, at least friends with Giannis on social media and others as well, but it'd been around for two days and you'd have to be asleep for two whole days not to have known that deal. Everyone was talking about how good the Bucks were, how much they had reloaded, how Giannis has to sign that Supermax, and then it's pulled. So now you have Drew Holiday, and then you have to just quickly go and make moves. And so Eric Bledsoe it was already sent packing uh, alongside George Hill. So then you go into free agency and you have Dante DiVincenzo because he never left after the failed trade. So that should be great for his confidence there. Uh, you also have Giannis, Chris, Brooke Lopez. Great. Uh, then you have Giannis and DJ Wilson. So you had to bring guys off the bench. So what they did, they brought in DJ Augustine, who, although 33 and 5'10 and horrible on D, um, is someone who's been pretty solid as a point guard for the Magic the last couple of years. Then they end up getting Bobby Portis, who's had stops in Chicago, Washington, New York. But, you know, the idea of him is pretty good. Again, horrible defender, but offensively great. You know, he's a guy who can kind of score down low. He's a stretch big. He can create for himself off the dribble. Then you have another guy, and there's a common theme here. Really good on offense, horrible on defense. Bryn Forbes, great shooter from San Antonio, uh, kind of undersized. Uh, depends on what happens with Kyle Korver, but he might be a good sub for him. Nowhere near as automatic, but, you know, you have that. Then they went the other way with Torrey Craig in a great defender uh, who's not a great offensive player, and that kind of makes up, I think, between Bryn Forbes and Torrey Craig kind of a platoon to take up the departure of Wes Matthews. And then you got Robin Lopez who left, and so I, I would assume that the pieces in, in Portis will help out there. Uh, long story short, I'm talking myself in a hole because I really don't like what Milwaukee did. It's like a cluster of moves that I don't know how they make them better. Like, they're going to be a good team just because they have Giannis in the Eastern Conference. Like, they're going to be okay, but is is this is this what you go to battle with? It's very reminiscent of the teams that uh, Cleveland put around LeBron the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think... They're, they're, they made a nice upgrade going, you know, getting Drew Holiday. And, you know, if you pair Drew Holiday with, with Middleton and Giannis and kind of their system, they're going to be really good. But like you said, you know, they, they had a complete debacle and disaster with the Bogdanovich situation. Uh, the Pat Connaughton situation was uh, was weird, too, where they gave him an incorrect contract at first and then had to pay him more to keep him um, mm -hmm. because they had – they had lost out of Bogdanovich and their, and their depth was questionable. You know, Augustin, I think, is a fine player for the regular season, but giving him three years, 21 million when he really can't 
play a heavy role in the playoffs, given, like you said, 5'10 and, and not good defensively is a question mark. You know, I love what you said, the idea of Bobby Portis. That's what we always say about Bobby Portis <laughs> for the past, like, three to four years. He's just uh, not – He's just not that very impactful in terms of winning basketball. And so that – most of my questions, I think, now come in their front court. You know, Giannis starts at the four. Brooke Lopez at the five. Bobby Portis is your backup five, maybe can play some four. But that's kind of it. I mean, you don't they, – they waived Ilyasova. Uh, DJ Wilson I don't think is going to be dependable for their – uh, rotation uh, and the rest of their additions, you know, Forbes, Craig, and Augustin are, are guards and, and wings. So their front court depth is pretty depleted. You know, Brook Lopez, I think, is 32 or 33. You don't want to play him that many minutes. What if he gets played off the floor during the playoffs? Who are you doing? Who are you going to throw out at the five? You're going to play Giannis at the five or Bobby Portis in a playoff game? I, I will pass on that uh, <laughs> idea right there. So I, I just think, you know, their depth, they. Like you said, it was a, it was all like a scramble situation where they just replenished their depth with Forbes and Craig and Augustin and Portis. But if you're really analyzing it through the lens of can any of those guys that they just added play crucial minutes in a conference finals series, the answer is probably no for all of them. Uh, and, and that's where it gets really concerning because their depth – I think their depth is – for the regular season is going to be fine. But I think their playoff depth and their playoff pieces – it's not looking as great. You're just you're gonna have to really depend on Holiday and Middleton and Giannis to just be great for, and play heavy minutes um, and maybe some nice growth from from Divincenzo. Um, but other than that, it's a little bit concerning for me. If you're a team like Milwaukee that you know obviously wants to continue to have title aspirations to have an offseason that they did, you know it started off great with Holiday though it's a risky trade. Um, but the rest of it has been not what you would have wanted if you're a Bucks fan. I think. No, and I have just many questions about the backcourt, to be honest with you, because in my mind, you know, you, you, you're looking for playmaking. You bring Drew Holiday. I think he's great as a secondary playmaker. I don't know if he's like your your, your great your one great initiator, but aside from that, a lot of you guys are are play finishers, not someone who can create. So are you putting uh, more pressure on Drew Holiday and uh, Giannis to create? all the offensive possessions. And I, I think you would rather move away from Giannis creating and be more of a play finisher because of his clear weaknesses as far as shooting the ball are concerned. So I just don't know. You bring in guys like Brent Forbes, Torrey Craig, guys who are undersized guards, like you said, that are going to either be A, playing the front court as undersized players, or B, playing a position where they can shoot and or shoot or defend but can't do both and creation doesn't come into the equation and so i am concerned about that i mean it'll all work in the regular season because you know that team with any team with the honest will you know work during the regular season but uh come postseason you're right between having to go you know play bobby portis and Bryn forbes heavy minutes in the postseason without having the benefit of the san antonio coaching staff for Bryn forbes and then also having a situation where uh, they're not a, a fully uh, they skew one way or the other, but I don't feel like I see a fully, like, congealed team, you know? It's like they scramble to make moves, and the moves they would have made would have been bombed, but they didn't. So now they have this patchwork uh, uh, piece of uh, patchwork of players that they're going to cobble together and say, okay, Giannis, uh, you thinking about uh, signing the Supermax? Which, I, I, if I was Milwaukee, I wouldn't even bring to the table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it seemed, you know, the offseason was like, oh, they're trading for Holiday and Bogdanovich and all these future picks because they they're going to get Giannis to sign the Supermax and then the Bogdanovich part of it goes away they still have Holiday they'll still be a really good team but like you said the pieces that they've added this offseason they don't really inspire the confidence that they can actually make a difference let alone play serious minutes in a conference final series and, and that's 
basically what almost every single move the Bucks make should be evaluated on. Every player that they add, the question should be, can this player do something for us in a potential Western, uh, Eastern Conference Finals? I, they're always, it's always great to get players that are strictly for regular season depth because you have to keep minute loads and usages lower. But at some point, you got to look at some of these additions with the, the focused lens on the playoffs. And I'm, I'm not sure that these additions kind of pass that test. I mean, if anything, the last three years should have shown Milwaukee that that's what they should have done. You know what I mean? Like, that would make a lot of sense in terms of, hey, uh, we've had great regular seasons and very disappointing postseason. So let's try to flip it a little bit. Let's not maybe have the best regular season team, but really, you know, grind it out and kick butt come the postseason. And uh, we'll see. Not much has changed, in my opinion. So it remains to be seen kind of how they go. But um, let's have another team in your list. Let's go into a loser. Uh, we already touched on, on, on I, I would imagine, uh, what this team is here in terms of is that me? I think that is me. Gotta talk to my roommate. Anyway, um, in terms of um, the Bucks being a loser, what's another team that you put as a loser? Um, um, let's go to Charlotte. Uh, let's, Charlotte. Let's address it. Let's what? Address I'm it. kidding. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we have to. Um, and I say this as someone who's a fan of Hayward's actual like fit, like his on-court fit in Charlotte. I think is good, and I think. The help that he can provide LaMelo as a guy who can just have the ball in his hands, create for others a little bit, take the pressure off of him is good. I say that, but the contract itself is likely going to be brutal. Um, I would get it if they were a young team that was really on the cusp of the playoffs or like you could see a vision where, okay, if this young team adds a guy like Gordon Hayward – they can be a playoff team, almost like exactly like the Hawks, <laughs> like the Hawks are the other side of this, a young team that with a couple of good veteran additions, which they have made, you project to be in the playoff mix. Charlotte is not that team. Uh, they were bad last year. Uh, they were lucky to win as many games as they did based off their point differential. And they just drafted LaMelo, who I thought, you know, I had him, as, I didn't really do a draft board, but if I did, I would have had him number one. But he's also quite the project to develop. Um, and because of that, he's not going to be a po- He's probably not going to be a positive contributor right away. And given that Hayward's timeline just does not make sense with the Hornets. Um, and it's just one of those things where it just seems like they'd rather be a 30, uh, there's not 82 games, but theoretically a 35 win team than like a 25 win team. When almost like a team like Detroit, you, you thought that they were finally going to, really lean into the proper rebuild. And then all of a sudden with a snap of the fingers, they're back into like the, let's chase the, the well, this year they can do the, the, the ninth or 10th seed because of the play in that's, it's going to be the, let's chase the ninth or 10th seed. Um, also for the Hornets, not spending any money on, on a quality center option. Like I thought they could have been a team to throw money at, at a Harry, Harry Giles or uh, Montrez uh, Harold, because I thought that that would have been nice to give LaMelo a, a really nice pick and roll big man, especially Harrell, because I think, yeah. again, like I said, all of the attention and the focus should be on giving LaMelo what he needs to develop, which is which is proper floor spacing, which Hayward does give and, and, and a big a pick and roll big man. And they don't they don't have the pick and roll big man right now. Their spacing is still pretty questionable, even with the addition of Hayward. So eh, the fit is fine. If the, if the Hornets were actually close to the A seed or if Hayward was 26 or 27 instead of 30, uh, I would have liked it a lot more. But the contract length and the years, $30 million a year, um, stretching Batum to do this, it just does not make sense with the direction. Yeah, and I don't like the fact that it's fully guaranteed for that long. Like, you have to understand, like, 
Give the man his money, but moving forward, are you going to win a championship in four years? No. Are you going to be in contention for that? No. Like, I don't see that as a thing that's going to happen. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure in terms of, I, I don't know, like, what is going on there? You know what I mean? Like, what is the, what's the end game? Uh, if it's to help along his uh, Lamelo's uh, development, and uh, by the way, I refuse to call Lamelo Melo. There's already a Melo in the league. <laughs> all right, it's Carmelo Anthony. Lamelo can maybe take it after Carmelo retires, depending on how well Lamelo plays. Right now, it's Lamelo Ball, full name, period, and then Carmelo, and you can call him Melo. That's it. I, I'm, I'm already confused with the whole Melo Lamelo. Like it's not cute. Anyway, moving back. Um, <laughs> brief aside there. But going back to what we were talking about before, I I don't yeah I, I don't see it, and I'm a guy who likes Charlotte. You know they're they're kind of engineering this deal. Maybe you have um maybe you have um uh Terry Rozier leaving. It'd be so fun if he was heading back to Boston. <laughs> um, that would be hilarious. But maybe he's going. Maybe this isn't just a, a straight up. Uh, maybe it's more of a. Uh, a sign and trade than that, but even so, it's not a good fit. You're giving money to a guy who, yes, he had a freak injury, but I, I don't look at him as the bastion of health even before that, who's, in my mind, going to age okay, but how is he going to age any better than Nicholas Batum did? By the way, he's Nicholas Batum's age now with that contract. Like, let's think about that for a second. Like, in a vacuum, is he that much better a player than Nick Batum, even Nick Batum's decline for the next four years? I struggle to see it. Well, I would push back on that. Like, Hayward... Like, Batum was basically unplayable last season. Uh, like, he's solid defensively, but, I mean, he really – his athleticism and everything just fell off a cliff. Um, so I'd say if Hayward – there's a, there's a scenario – I think the first two years of this deal may not be a, a, an atrocity. I think that if Hayward stays healthy, you could see him bounce back to, like, a 20-point per game, similar to what he did in Utah, as, like, a really featured offensive player, 20 points, six rebounds, three to four assists per game. Um, I think he could do that. But there's always a downside risk of him not staying healthy or the team being just really bad at just as, you know, him putting empty stats up. And the other thing is, you know, he was the fourth option in Boston uh, behind really good players. And he's probably Charlotte's best player this season, but he's not the only person who needs the ball in his hands on this on this team. I mean, LaMelo obviously needs the ball in his hands. His shooting is a real question mark, but his playmaking is where he brings the most value. Uh, Devontae Graham needs the ball in his hands. He can play off ball as a good shooter, but his passing is also, I think, a little bit underrated, and you only get that when he has the ball in his hands. Rozier, if he stays, he obviously needs the ball in his hands. And then you've got Hayward. So he's not – Hayward's not this clear-cut, like, all right, we're going to give Hayward the ball. He's going to have 25 to 28% usage, et cetera, because Graham, LaMelo, and potentially Rozier all need the ball in their hands, and some of them will be on the court at the same time as Hayward. So I, I don't think – the fit is super seamless in terms of who's going to have the ball in their hands the most and things of that nature that has to be sorted out. And Hayward clearly has that veteran like hierarchy over the, over the younger guys. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's, it's really just the contract and Hayward's age. Like I said, if Hayward was 26 or 27, I would not have as many problems. I'd still have some problems, but not as many, but he's 30. He's had the freak injury, obviously, but he also had the ankle injury in the playoffs. He, he has repeatedly said that he still feels soreness uh, in his legs and knees because of the injury. Um, so that's really concerning right there if he's, yeah. if he's saying that publicly. So let's just hope it doesn't turn into a disaster for him or the team. It makes no sense for their direction. 
I do think they'll be pretty fun with LaMelo and Hayward and Graham, and they've got the best court and uniform uh, design, I think, in the entire league, so I'll be watching Easily. way more Hornets games, which yep. is positive for us, but for them, in terms of team building, not the way you probably want to go. Well, no, and when I say, when I say like, right now, straight up, yes, of course, Hayward is better. Next year, same thing. I'm just talking about, like, over the length of the deal, like, in terms, and I, I, I guess I worry that very poorly but i'm not i I don't think there's a what hayward's not going to perform this contract but that's obvious i don't think he's even going to get halfway near i think going to have one to two good years and then i don't see it and i maybe i'm just overly down on hayward i mean he's a very good player but i don't i don't like that i i see more batum chandler parson type contracts and the sad thing was at least you know batum fell off a cliff but he was at least younger when he got it you know i just I'm I'm not a fan of it all, and I don't know how big of an impact Hayward is. We and I know we messaged about this. You know, I said maybe top 30, maybe, and you were like 30, 35. Like I don't know if that's a player that you signed for that for what for leadership. You could have gotten much cheaper players to get that <laughs> to end up with the same result that you're going to end up with, which maybe is a playoff spot. I'm not super optimistic, and in my in my head right now, I don't have the the total rundown right now. But I just I don't know. They, they're, I mean, at best, they're probably a ninth or tenth seed. You know, they can get into the play-in game, which is now a new thing. So there you go. They yeah, oh, that's fun. They can yep. get excited about that. Although those don't count as playoff games, Charlotte Hornets. That has been already uh, made official by the league that you can't say you made the playoffs if you made the play-in game. So don't be raising any banners if you're the tenth seed this year. Um, yeah. let's, let's, <laughs> let's get some positivity going, though. Let's um, do it. I was going to ask you to. <laughs> like, Here's another winner. I, I mean, not another. Here is a winner I have, uh, and a pretty big one, the Trailblazers. I think they've had a really, really nice offseason. I think it started before the draft, trading for Robert Covington. Um, but it, it has kept up in free agency, adding Derek Jones Jr. Um, they made that trade for Enos Cantor. Um, they re-signed Carmelo and Rodney Hood. Uh, and they even added Harry Giles today. Um at the minimum, which is I thought was pretty shocking. I thought a, team, a younger team like the Hornets would have given him a little bit of money. Um, but really, I think the headlining is just the big forward upgrades in Covington and Jones Jr. I mean, the talk for, about Portland over the past couple of years is that they've got these great guards. They've got their big man situation pretty much set with, with Nurkic um, and you know Collins to a lesser extent. But they just never had any dependable, real forward-sized players, especially forwards that were good defensively. And here come Covington and Jones Jr., who I think are, are really good on, on that end of the floor. Covington, you know, can still sp- spread the floor. Jones is just a super athletic, can kind of run to the rim and just dunk everything. Um, I like it a lot. And I think if they could maybe add a dependable backup point guard, um, like maybe like they, they had their past friend, uh, Shabazz Napier is a name that they used to have, that maybe they want to bring him back. And if they stay healthy and add another backup, dependable backup point guard, I could really see this team being in the mix for the top four seed in the West. Like, you know, Lillard, McCollum, they have Gary Trent who emerged last year, Covington, Jones Jr. Uh, they have Nurkic, they have Cantor now for depth. They have Hood maybe who could come back. They don't even have to rely on Melo that much. Like Melo could just come in and be like a supercharged, like 10-minute-per-game scoring type if they need the offensive punch. But if they don't need him or if they're playing a team that has a lot more uh, offensive firepower uh, on the front court, they could go with Covington and Jones Jr. So – I'm a big fan of what they've done. They've addressed their biggest need in a really, really good way while not sacrificing any in the in the way of depth. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, these guys are all solid players. And people are like, oh, they're playoff contenders. I'm like, okay, there's still a clear level between the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Blazers, and, you know, that. But they are 
they what are they like the Houston Rockets? Are they like the Denver Nuggets of that now? They're definitely up there, uh, like you like you said, you know, probably battling for a top four seed. Um, and they did it with these guys who are all solid players. I mean, you you run through the depth of that team, like you said. You have Dame, of course. You have um, Anthony Simons, who I'm big on. C.J. McCollum. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., Rodney Hood, Derek Jones Jr., Nasir Little, Robert Covington, Carmelo, Zach Collins, Yusef Nurkic, Ennis Cantor, Harry Giles, like all those guys would be on a rotation, period. You know what I mean? Like all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Nasir Little, depending on how you think, but I still think you'd be in one. And maybe you have a, a feeling on Anthony Simon as well. But everyone else, that's what, 10 players deep that, you know, are all getting heavy minutes and all last year were, were playing uh, decent roles in whatever team they were on and, and, and with good reason. Like, this is a very solid team that, that is it, – it, it, it clicks, it feels like. It clicks well, you know? You have that front court. It has to be at least, in terms of forward rotation, the best one they've had in a while, right, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to a couple of years ago when they had um, Harkless and Aminu. And I think yep. that Covington and Jones Jr. are filling those roles, but they're better, I think. Um, and – you know, that, that, that's when the Blazers, you know, they made a pretty improbable run to the conference finals, but they did make it to the conference finals when they had those two forwards to play some defense and, and hit a couple of threes. And I think Covington and Jones Jr. are basically like supercharged versions of those two. And you add that to Lillard and McCollum, who should be elite, Can, um, not Cantor, Nurkic, uh, looked really good as we expected in the bubble. Um, and they still have depth. I mean, again, you know, Maybe they're missing, you know, I, I like Simons, but I think I'd still like to add, like I said, a dependable backup point guard if you really want to be a real, you know, competitor in the West. But they didn't sacrifice much in the way of depth. Um, you know, they got Cantor, they got Melo, maybe Hood can come back and give them something. So I think they are one of the biggest winners in the in general offseason when you combine the trade they made before the draft and then what they did after that. True, true. I'm with you. It's It's a team that is... It's solid. This is a solid squad. I am I'm totally on board with what they're doing in terms of how they came in with a clear direction, made moves that executed that direction in a positive way. And now you have a squad that, especially after the year that was kind of all over the places last year, you can at least say, hey, we're, we're doing the best within the means that we have to, you know, make the most of Dame and to a lesser extent CJ's prime here. And, you know, this is with the, uh, within the constraints of the team that you have. Really solid moves. And you're right. They get into the backup guard. Uh, you know, I think a DJ Augustine would have been great for this squad, but like someone that, you know, for moments can can handle the ball for stretches, get a team into an offense. You know how DJ uh, runs the pick and roll really well and then go um, off of that. And of course, playing alongside Dame plays like an off ball shooter. If they can get a, a guard in that archetype, then I think that that definitely pushes them into upper echelon of the, of the Western Conference uh, easily. But with the moves they made right now, they're already pretty solid. And speaking of that, there's another team that uh, I feel is already solid regardless, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Um. Mm-hmm. Going into this, uh, I, I, they went and made a trade for Chris Paul, getting the, the best guard that, uh, you know, all, all due respect to Jamal Crawford and Ricky Rubio, the best uh, point guard that um, uh, De- Devin uh, Booker has had that's played alongside. Then they went and, I don't know, I mean, they went good and bad. They drafted Jalen Smith, 10th uh, overall. That was not a move I l- liked at the moment. Uh, that it happened and it continued to dislike as it continued with him being a, a full a power forward who really plays more of a backup center role, which is unfortunate because he's playing behind DeAndre Ayton, who 
presumably would get most of those minutes, uh, especially when you guys on the board like Adem Vassell, uh, that would have been a lot more helpful for Phoenix. And then they went and made some good moves and some bad moves. Jay Crowder was signed to a three-year deal. They retained Javon Carter on a three-year deal. They lost Aaron Baines uh, to Toronto, but they replaced him with uh, Damian Jones. So, <laughs> you know, you have something there. Um, I, I don't know. I think, obviously, the big loss was, of course, moving on from Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre Jr. in order to, of course, execute the trade that brought in Chris Paul. Both of them found their ways to contenders so, or pseudo-contenders in, in the case of, uh, well, both of them. So there you go. Uh, both of them went to, to positive teams, I will say that. Uh, not the rebuilding o- o- OKC Thunder at the end of the day. But really, it's it's really interesting. I like what this Suns team is. I think they could have been a lot better. Yeah, I, I, th- I have them as winners. Um, I guess technically I have them – I would still probably have them as winners if we were only looking at free agency. But obviously their big move came before free agency with the trade for Chris Paul. But, you know, obviously I thought that was a really good move. I think his fit with Booker is really good. It's almost like um, – like a little bit of a, a lesser version of the 2018 Rockets, where it was Paul and Harden. Um, you know, Paul's a little bit worse now than he was then, and Booker's not at the level that Harden was that year because Harden was an MVP. But you see a similar kind of prototype for how those two can mesh together. Um, and in terms of free agency, strictly, Jay Crowder is a good addition. I think you know, counting on him to be you know as good a shooter as he was when he was with the Heat for half of last season is, is unrealistic given his career percentages. But Brings defense. He's not afraid to shoot it, which is pretty key because as long as he's taking them and hitting them at like a 34, 35% clip, defense, uh, defenses were going to guard him out there. Um, they added a guy like Etwan Moore cheaply, I think, for like the minimum today. Um, you know, solid under the radar depth addition. Um, I agree. I think the concern now is the front court depth, specific, specifically behind Aiton. I think. They're basically too deep at most positions. They retained Carter, like you said. I thought that was a really reasonable deal for for him and the team. Um, so I think they're pretty they're pretty deep at most positions. You know, they, at point guard you got Paul, uh, Carter, obviously even Campaign did well for them last year. Obviously you got Booker and maybe Etwan Moore as the two guards. Um, you got Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson looked pretty good last year. They could re- re- they could retain uh, Dario Saric, which would probably be something they want to look to do now. Uh, but behind Aiton, you're really relying on Damian Jones and maybe Jalen Smith. That's uh, not exactly inspiring. But overall, I think you have to say they're winners. They added Chris Paul. They added guys that can help them for next year, which they want to make the playoffs, obviously. And a guy like Jay Crowder and Etwan Moore and their other guys, Bridges, Aiton, maybe even Booker, should probably continue to take steps forward, which is obviously going to help them a lot. Yeah, and I'm going to throw you a a quick, fast one here. Do you look at the Suns as currently constructed as a playoff team? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, Now, I'm only saying that if you could guarantee me that Chris Paul is playing like at least like 50 – of the 70 games in the season. Like I, if he's missing half the year, then they're going to be in trouble, I think. But if Chris Paul is reasonably healthy and the general is reasonably healthy, they've got to, I mean, they're starting five of Paul Booker bridges, probably Crowder and Aiton. That's mm. really good. That is, that is a playoff starting five. I think there are some question marks in terms of the depth, but I, I think, I think they're a playoff team. Yeah. I'm looking in a positive way as well. I definitely think they're, uh, I mean, with you saw what Chris Paul did with the OKC team. Uh, this team is 
uh, night and day better just with the addition of Devin Booker alone. So I'm right there with you on that. It's going to be exciting to see. As someone who's in the Phoenix area, uh, you know, watching the Suns last year was actually not the most horrible experience. Writing about them uh, for Valley of the Sun this past year was a great experience. And now, you know, being able to see them uh, with the, the potential they have right now, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I th- and I'll make a smooth transition to one of my other winners here is uh, their playoff chances may or may not uh, depend on a team like the Houston Rockets, who I have as a, as a winner in the free agency period. Um, they came out of nowhere to get Christian Wood, who was one of the top free agency targets heading into all of this. There was a question of maybe the Pistons would bring him back. They lost their minds with other moves and didn't really ad- even prioritize him. Uh, strangely enough. And here come the Rockets actually getting him through a series of trades, really, you know, first doing the Covington trade to get a Reza and then flipping a Reza and a sign-in trade for Wood involving other picks and things of that nature. But essentially what happened was they turned Robert Covington into Christian Wood and two first-round picks, one from Portland in 2021 and a protected, and they're both protected, and one from the Pistons, which is really heavily protected. But that's a pretty good piece of business. Um, And when you look at specifically for the on-court fit, Wood is probably the best big man you could get with the Rockets' current roster construction because he fits almost perfectly with both Russ and Harden. Now, I'm only talking as if they're going to both be on the team, which obviously is a big question mark. But if they are on the team, you've got a guy like Wood who can be a rim runner for Harden. I mean, he dunks everything and has a pretty wide um, catch radius for lobs, which Harden clearly missed when they got rid of Capella. But also – he can also space the floor when Russ when he's sharing the floor with Russ, uh, and that's obviously the big thing where you can still have a rebounder on the court, some kind of rim protection, while also Wood can competently hit the three, and so Russ should have enough floor spacing. So the fit for the for next season alone, I think, is really really good. And then Wood is 24, so if they do trade Russ or Harden or both, he does he fits the timeline of a team that would potentially be rebuilding. Um, so I like I like this move a lot for the Rockets to get Wood. You know, some of the other under the radar things they've done is I think they've actually done a really nice job of targeting their free agency targets on younger players that can provide some athleticism. So they came out today, they signed Sterling Brown, who could be a nice flyer as a potential the idea of him as a three and D kind of guard. The idea of him, you gotta <laughs> the love idea, that. <laughs> exactly. Everyone has an idea of them. It's just the question of if they actually are that idea. Exactly. Um, Kenny Wooten, they signed. It was on a two-way with the Knicks. That guy just dunks and blocks everything. Block uh, monster. Yeah. So, listen, they have made a spe- – it's very clear that they have had a specific focus to still put players that fit around Russ and Harden for next season while also making sure that those players are young. I think Wood, Brown, and Wooten are all 24 or younger. So, if they're trying to balance both paths of competing while also potentially bracing themselves for a rebuild, I think I think they've done a really good job so far. No, I have to agree with you. It's a really solid first step uh, because I think that uh, whether or not, you know, they keep um, both Harden and Westbrook uh, for a season or for longer, like obviously the writing's on the wall, like this, this marriage isn't going to stay. I don't know if it's like a, a Kobe situation or something where the star ask out comes to their senses and they're there. You know, I feel like, no, they're on the move. It's just a matter of when. Uh, of course, that's my mindset. I'm nowhere near plugged in or anything of that sort, but it, it, in my mind, it's it's a wrap for this, and they're just a, a marriage of convenience at this point. And in which case, this is a good idea. 
got some guys who are young, can fit some spots. Like you said, they still play very well with these folks. So it's not going to be a matter of clashing um, styles. But also, if and when those guys are moved, you have uh, the the framework of, of the of the or the foundation of a next solid Rockets team around these guys that can make immediate contributions now and also potentially be something more two years down the line. Exactly. I think if you're if you yeah, you basically have to plan for both scenarios because, like you said, there is a, maybe a small chance that Russ or Harden kind of come to their senses or change their mind or whatever, and in which case you still have to surround them with good pieces. Um, but you also have to know – you have to be pretty realistic that there's oftentimes, especially recently, once the stars ask for the trade, it does not get fixed. And in that case, your focus should be on getting players like Wood, who at 24 – you should be growing his game moving forward. Um, and so I think that's what they've done. Uh, we've been going for a good amount of time, so I'll start going. Uh, let me run through a couple other smaller I was going to say you want to do some last kind of rapid fire. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's I think the it. Heat have been a, a winner, not a spectacular winner, but just a solid winner. I think obviously they retained Goran Dragic, um, and they lost Drake Crowder, but they basically replaced Crowder with Mo Harkless in a sense, while also adding Avery Bradley. So I think the combination of Bradley and Harkless provides enough defense basically to, to, to maintain that level that that Crowder had given them. Um, and I think their whole plan obviously is to maintain last year's level of play as a team while making sure as, as are the Raptors and the Mavericks keeping that flexibility open for 2021 for a certain Greek player. Um, so I think they've done that. I think Bradley and Harkless should give him defense. And- <laughs> I loved your hint, hint. I'm sorry. It took me a second. I'm like, a certain Greek player? Ah, snap. I'm <laughs> slow. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, don't know, I think I think they're going to be they're going to be really good next season, and they've got the flexibility, and that's that, that to me is a win. I think. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I mean, they did a way where they're going to stay competitive. They made some solid moves that are at least intriguing. I'm definitely uh, big on Avery Bradley. He can only guard one position, but guess what? That's a position you need help guarding. So, boom. You know, you got that covered. At the same time, you said it. They they've, they've, they've made some very smart moves the last couple of years. Miami Heat have a very smart front office, but in this way, they maximize their potential to contend this year while also keeping that flexibility to not only contend, but to also open themselves up, like you said, for that one guy who uh, may be a lot more available <laughs> now than he was uh, three days ago, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. You have any other fast, uh, quick team uh, hitters or losers here? Winners or losers? Yeah, I got one more slight winner and, and one more loser. Um, slight winner, I think, of the Jazz. Um, I think they brought back Jordan Clarkson, which was which was key. We we probably all saw that coming, and so therefore, I think the real addition is the return of the familiar friend Derek Favors. Um, Listen, I think there should there could be some concern about it being a three year deal given Faber's injury history and you know he didn't really look that good in the bubble in terms of his movement. Um, but if he can stay healthy, he does give them a solid 48 minutes of defense at the center spot. Um, he's very familiar, obviously, with the team and the system. Um, and so I think that upgrading from a guy like Tony Bradley to Derek Favors, while being able to maintain, you know, they're going to return Bogdanovich, they'll still have Clarkson as a scorer off the bench. That, to me, makes them a slight winners. Uh, and to go to the negative side quickly, uh, the team that had Tony Bradley but then apparently traded him to the Sixers today for Zaire Smith, uh, the Detroit Pistons. I just don't know what they're doing. Um, nope. Nope. I'm glad we got that. I was waiting for you to hit the lead there. <laughs> I mean, they're just throwing money at players that, in my opinion, don't really seem to fit well. Um at first, when, when free agency really first opened up that whole that first night when they were just adding 16 centers in their roster, it was really crazy. 
Since then, they've actually made some moves to add to their backcourt, like trading for DeLon Wright from Dallas, which I think is nice just to get another ball handler. Um, but this is another team, like like I said, like Charlotte before, it really seemed like they were finally going to lean into an actual proper rebuild. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, free agency opened and like they had lost their minds and just threw money <laughs> at veterans and players that don't fit, that they can't shoot that well. There's not much floor spacing. They drafted a guy like Killian Hayes and they just said, we're not going to surround him with the proper floor spacing to develop him. Like it just did not make any sense to me to spend all this money for guys that uh, they're they're like Horn- they're like Charlotte to me. They're not anywhere closer to the playoff mix. Honestly, I think Charlotte is a little bit closer, given that some of their guys are probably going to develop and Gordon Hayward's actually really good and fits well. But the choice the choice additions don't. To me, they don't fit, and that's where it doesn't make any sense to me. No, I'm with you on that. I have a team that's, a, a, I guess, a slight winner in my mind, the Brooklyn Nets. I, they didn't really do too much, but the moves they did make, I like. Um, Jeff Green, you know, joining uh, Kevin Durant as the, only, the last two original um, Seattle Supersonics to still uh, be in the NBA and also playing together in Brooklyn. That's kind of neat. Joe Harris came back on a four-year, $75 million deal. They needed him. He was a priority. They got him. They also got another shooter in Landry Shaman in that trade. I think those pieces are good additions to what Brooklyn's doing. Uh, they didn't have to make maybe massive moves around uh, around uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Yusuf, Kyra Silver, and others, but it does seem they're going to stand pat and, and supplement their team with these guys. Bruce Brown, you can't forget him. And I like what they did. It's a very uh, solid, if understated, uh, offseason for Brooklyn. I agree. I think uh, the the trades for Brown and, and Shamit make sense for what they need around their their stars. And Jeff Green, I thought, well, for the minimum, is probably one of the better value signings so far in free agency. Yep. So I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I don't want to cut you off. If you have any more of the teams left? I'm fresh out for now. No, I mean I'm good for now. I think what's interesting is that we've all seen kind of. Pretty much all the big mains, the big names have signed, and now there's not much money left to go around that teams have to offer. But there's still, I think, you know, I haven't looked at the list of free agents yet today, but there's still a, a decent amount of quality rotation players that might get really squeezed out because there's just not that much money to go around. But I think over the next couple of days, there could be a couple of teams that add guys that, you know, it might not catch you by surprise when you're reading the tweet. But it might be a a nice difference maker for their regular season rotation. But for the most part, it seems like things are going to really quiet down soon enough. I know. It's getting to that time. Um, You saw Markeith Morris. uh, Nicholas Batum is now available, apparently. Kyle Korver, he has announced the retirement that I know. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins is healthy. We saw that. He's around. Uh, Glenn Robinson III is around as well. Uh, There's some guys that you can look at and go, okay, like these are, like you said, solid players that are still available. You know, Um trying to see who else is around here now um uh, if you however you feel about a hassan whiteside (laughs) and then what's funny we still haven't heard anything about brandon ingram it's been radio silence on brandon ingram yeah i think that that's gonna be i think they're just probably negotiating if there's like player options or not but uh that is interesting but yeah like you said it's all basically there's still a couple of like guys that you sign that you can definitely plan to be in your rotation um but it's not you know these aren't the flashy names the flashy names are basically gone but these, this is now when teams see how much value they can basically get out of, like, minimum contracts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you said it. You said it. Just what's the maximum value we can extract from these guys and, and see how it all fits. And, you know, I just got to say, I appreciate you coming on, Eric. Uh, this has been a quick, relatively quick for us <laughs> uh, show. It's over an hour, but it was still uh, quick for us. But um, I like kind of run through these winners and losers. A lot happened. I kind of like the rapid fire way we went about it. Um. 
the season's about to start in a month. Do you have anything else you, you, you have to plug? I mean, you're about to be very busy, I can only imagine, in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's wild. The season starts in a couple of weeks, um, but nothing really to plug. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA, um, and all of my written content, like I said before, will be on Nuggets.com. There you are. Make sure to check out this guy. Uh, he knows his NBA folks. I've worked with him for a couple of years now. Uh, good buddy of mine here. Listen, check it out. I want to have you back on if I can get you, bro. Um, obviously, you know, down the line just before the season starts, if we could talk some Denver Nuggets, that'll be bomb. Uh, but, you know, we'll wait and see, play it by ear, see what happens, man. Let's plan for it. Let's plan for it right now. <laughs> okay. Hey, I, I want to make sure I, I didn't want to push, push you live here, but uh, okay, <laughs> let's plan for it. It's a done deal. We'll make it happen. All right. But um, uh, for Eric Spiros is uh, Corbin Ford. You follow me at Corbin NBA. Check out the fine folks of Hoopball. Like I always say, Hoopball tweets and then uh, online hoop-ball.com. Until next time, y'all, I'm Frosty. You know, we got Eric Frosty. Y'all say Frosty and I will talk to y'all next time. I talk.